Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. Bienvenue, everyone. Welcome <laughs> to False Bottom Girls. And, um, well, let me start over. Okay, good. <laughs> Bienvenue, everyone. Bonjour. Monsieurs and mademoiselle, mademoiselles, and I don't know. I'm not going to gender our welcome, so let's just pretend I didn't try that. <laughs> Welcome everyone to this episode of False Bottom Girls. That's Rachel Hudson. <laughs> I love Why did you do that? Because you get so confused. <laughs> yeah, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to introduce me. Oh, Don't be oh. in front of company. Oh, we're okay. <laughs> That's right. We should start over. Welcome everyone to this episode and this like third false start of uh, false bottom girls that's what we do <laughs> I'll, I'll just take over from here on out today we are talking about beer de guards the french contribution to the beer world Not although to be pedantic all that only that I it's mean. beers de guard like attorneys general oh sorry beers, beers to store does it start does it spelled with an s well, if you're going to pluralize it. Okay. Beers if we're talking about more, more than one beer de garde is a beers de garde. Beers de garde. Beers de garde. So when we're talking about beers de garde, this is one of those styles that, uh, you know, I mean, there's information out there. There's a lot of information out there. It's just like we don't, as American brewers, don't really brew them that much. And there are not a lot of examples out there on the shelves. Um, don't get me wrong. Like tons of breweries go and make like, lots of small batches of stuff but when it comes to like a big example you could find especially here in america kind of scarce um man jolly pumpkin mm -hmm. well you're very fortunate where you are because our friend joe vogelbacher at sugar creek makes a beer to guard that ah, you can true, get true, true. in bottles and it is very very good i guess it's also one of those styles i just don't like pay attention to that much like i'm not it's I, pro I probably wouldn't go buy a bottle of beer to guard honestly unless i'm studying Right. See, but, I would because, of course, it's a malt forward style, and yes. that's something that I like. Uh, but, you know, Beer de Garde is one of those styles. If I see it on your menu, I will probably order it because I don't see it very often. True. That is true. I'll definitely want to try it. So, Beer de Garde is. So, I'm going to take a step back and just go ahead and take a quick shout out to my information source of the farmhouse ales book yes really good book um it is all about beer de guards and saison brewing um which is awesome because saisons can be just as confusing as beer de cars um like some of the other styles that we talked about in the past there can be blonde amber brown versions of this style dark and light some style and it's all about interpretation of the brewery um Similar to saisons, this all started in a world where there's no refrigeration. 
brewing was happening in the colder months. Beer was being saved for the uh, summer. And there is a ton of different interpretations of these beers. And, you know, what do these farmers grow around them? What kind of barley or malt supply or wheat or rye do they have available? And, you know, what prices were you grown? So, and also like Saison's, they started out kind of rough, sour. Uh, you had to drink them very fresh. You know, a lot of these beers would be put into the cask. They would be brewed at the brewery, put into the cask and shipped to the cellar or to the bar, the tavern um, within a couple of days and left at the tavern to finish fermenting. So the publican could have its most time at serving fresh beer. Right. And because uh, none of this stuff lasted very long. But um, over time, as refrigeration and the lager world started to expand and the popularities of lager beer and that smoother, cleaner uh, taste that came from that clean fermentation character was becoming really popular. And beer de guards did start evolving to take on practices of lagering and um, creating this more clean and high alcohol version. Again, these were lower alcohol beers when brewing was first getting started because these are beers for the farmhouse workers right like we, people need refrigeration uh, people need to hydrate during the day the water isn't super safe so we have our farmhouse beers so a lot like like a lot of styles in belgian brewing this is very similar to belgian brewing uh beer de guards can be made in belgium and in france and in america it's not just like a specific French beer, but this is like one of the most notable contributions to brewing from France. Correct. And um, like very, the towns that are very much on the border of France and Belgium are, you know, producing these beers. And this is like where everything kind of starts. So there's a huge overlay. This probably, I mean, when this people were brewing in that area there probably wasn't even like a defined border at one point you know right. just like of small towns just kind of brewing what they have in their backyard so beer to guard is definitely one of those classic um styles like jim was saying that are very multi-accentuated a lot of styles were um you know a lot of gruit was used hops eventually came come into play but hops today and beer to guards are going to be there to balance the profile you're not going to have like an overly hoppy version these are multi-centric the best versions are multi-centric without being super coined or overly sweet i think one of the big differences in beer de garde and saison for example are this aging this guarding so opinions about what beer de garde means and there's a mm -hmm. lot of meanings for beer de garde so the beer de Guard style, uh, the name, it can mean a different couple things. Um, one, it's uh, French tend to associate this, you know, beer with a brand or a region or a trend more than like a predefined set of physical and sensory parameters, just like Belgian beer does. One term it people say means provision beer, just beer to be stored, used for, you know, the warmer months. And then another term can designate the period of beer to guard as a secondary fermentation that occurs when you're using bottom fermenting yeast. So guarding means to store, so, or aging, aging and guard. Guard means age, age means to store, like lagering means to store. It's all very similar. And also can mean a type of beer made in north of France. So there's like a lot of different meanings for beer to guard. But when we're talking about a beer style, we're encompassing that specific meaning. So, you know, 
for me, I like to remember that aging, that guard means aging and I need to lager this beer. Cause that is one of the differences that is kind of like, Oh, I don't normally do that with my ales. So that is to me, it helps remember when I'm going to write in my little test, what a beer to guard is right to help talk about how they're not necessarily using a lager yeast, uh, but you can. Right. Both this example is one of those hybrid beers where you can use an ale or lager yeast. Um, you would still do a cold lagering storage act, whether you use ale or lagering yeast, because you're trying to clear it up. You're really not trying to um, bring out any esters from the yeast. Again, very unlike Belgian beer brewing, where right. it is a lot about those esters. So those are kind of the, so the main differences. Um, like, it, like with a lot of beer, uh, yeast selection is very big deal, very big part of it. But again, we're not going for that ester profile. So when we're talking about yeast selection, we are talking about something cleaner, like a German Kolsch yeast, um, you know, East Coast ale, American ale. So something of a workhorse that you know, is just going to get the job done without producing too much esters. Um, and then malt is a big deal. Uh, because you are talking about these, you have different, you have a lighter version, you can have an amber version, a brown version. So you need to figure out what, what you want as a brewer. Maybe if you're back in the early 1800s, you just figure it out based upon when you have to, what you're growing around you. So. Right. And I know having taken a malting class from a French professor, he will tell you that French barley is the best barley in the world. Um, and also since he's French, he says barley, which I love. <laughs> I never get tired of hearing a French person say barley. The French two row winter varieties are obviously what's being used in France and European two row is, um, does have a different character than, you know, than something like an American two row or back in the day, an American six row. And that is also, if you think through, like Rachel's saying, what the, what kinds of beers were being brewed, something like adjunct brewing, so brewing with corn, brewing with rice was never a thing in Europe because they could grow barley really well. Right. And the European two row varieties now is where um, we're seeing a lot of craft brewers starting to look for those kinds of characteristics because as craft brewers were brewing with all malt, most of the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, going back to our corn and rice episode, we talked about that. And in Europe, it has almost always been all malt, um, particularly in, in Belgium and France. Um, but again, like Rachel said, whatever is available is what people would brew with. And for me, I think that we've talked before about Belgians not really having styles the way Americans have guidelines and we want it yeah. to be this. Or even German, you know, in Germany, there's all the different rules, right? Heiskabat, yeah. everything else that says, you know, if you if it's a Kolsch, it needs to be this. In Belgium and France, they didn't really have that and they still don't. So for me, when the um, large Garshall book came out last year on historical farmhouse ales and brewing techniques, like that helped me put something like beer to guard more into uh, like in, into the larger picture where it was like, yeah. okay, this is what farmhouse is, where it is truly brewing with whatever you have around you and then storing it, you know, th the same way you do. If you have a, a farm, if you have an estate, 
of needing to harvest and store and preserve Mm -hmm. and turn your raw materials into something because you don't really have those capabilities to store barley or, you know, even like milk. So cheese making that sort of thing, um, having to turn your raw ingredients into something. And so that historical brewing techniques book where he's talking more about Eastern European, Scandinavian countries, all of that has been largely left out of brewing, of Western brewing education. And so like learning about how you make a beer to guard after learning about the, those other historical techniques was like, oh, okay, this is what farmhouse means. It's not just a thing that you call it. If you make a, you know, if you're an American making a beer to guard, that's not, that's not farmhouse. Yes. That's a beer to guard. And a farmhouse beer is something a little bit different. That's not quite as controlled. Yeah. So exactly like the, you know, when all they had to do where they didn't have refrigeration during that time, they're making, they have like a, two sets of beers they're making. They're making one that can like be drink, drunk right now, um, a little bit lower in alcohol, um, typically maybe lighter, maybe a little bit more hot character. And then they're making a beer that needs to be saved and lagered to be drink during the uh, warmer months. So typically that would be a little bit higher in alcohol. Um, They might blend it with batches over the winter as they brew more uh, to bring down that alcohol level for the summertime. But um, they would be a little bit more, uh, have more malt sugars to, for sustainability. You know, there was, there was very intentional what they were doing. And out of that probably came a saison and beer to guard style right these two that you have in which obviously they break down into so much more but you know as a brewery you're like i need a beer to drink now i need a beer i can save and drink in the summer right and that's what happens um of course as refrigeration and technology advances and all that happens that the necessity for doing that at such precise time becomes less important and um even more (laughs) types of styles evolve out of beer to garden saison. So it is like one of those really hard to pin down. I could be given five different beer to guards and they could be totally different beers. Right. And it would be hard to know that unless you told me probably. Right. Right. And that's, I think that's again, a challenge for, I know it is a challenge for me as somebody who was learning about beer when the BJCP guidelines existed. And so I've learned everything is in within these styles. And if you're not within these ranges, then it's not that beer. It's this or it's that. And within the style, there's room for interpretation. But if you give me a, a beer to guard that has an SRM of 30, I'm going to be like, well, this isn't a beer to guard. <laughs> Whereas with yeah. farmhouse ales, it's we've kind of shoehorned a lot of these styles, a lot of like the provincial styles into being styles where Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you go, um, I don't know how many farmhouses, you know, you would find in France where they're still making these kinds of beers, but they would probably be like, I don't give a shit what you think this beer is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. The beer that I make. These styles are not, (laughs) these are for testing purposes in America (laughs) and judging purposes in America. (laughs) (laughs) so just keep that in mind don't you go to some farmhouse brewery in france and they happen to let you in right and be like well right but let me get my bjp app out sir and show you what your beer should be yeah don't or (laughs) ma'am don't do that at all not good (laughs) but yeah that's part of it and there's also it's it's funny because other styles evolve from this 
because of marketing reasons and financial needs. So like one thing I read is that these brewers in the colder months aren't selling that much beer. It's almost like a little bit for some reason. Beer was almost the, yes, there was necessity for like health reasons, but it was also more of like a celebration of springtime is back and like more more people were drinking in the spring, probably right. in the winter. Right. So, similar to similar to my buck. Yes. And like so beers like beer de Mars, um, beer made for March came out and beer de Noel, beer for Christmas came out mostly as a way as breweries to make money during these slower months. It was more of marketing of probably having accountants bring down their neck. Like you need to figure out a way to sell beer, market this. So, I mean, that's why some of these styles evolve is, I mean, the world repeats itself. You know, we do things today that, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that because it will make me a bunch of money. You want me to put this face on the label? Not this face, not my face, but <laughs> your face would make a lovely label. It wouldn't make as much money as other people's faces. <laughs> so, I mean, there's reasons why uh, certain styles evolve. They're not always the passion beer related reasons. Right. You know? Right. And that's just like with the, anything in the world, really. And so, Rachel, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't see it in your notes. I don't know the answer. Uh, so this might be just be homework for the two of us. But when we're talking about France, obviously France is very famous for its wines. Mm -hmm. And in your studying, um, I know you have this very robust outline for us to look at today. In your studying, did you come across anything about, and I don't even know how to ask it, but, you know, France being so famous for wines, but they do have this one beer style. Um, do you think that that is just a kind of the mechanics of being close to someplace like Belgium being, you know, being someplace where um, maybe even like North of that wine line that, yeah. uh, that I know Randy Mosier talks about. There's what are not, your thoughts? There's not a like ton of stuff I read about anything more than like the town of Lille, which is like on the border basically. And a little bit North of uh, France north of france area uh like personally like when we and i got ma married to jeff we went on our honeymoon we were in paris for a couple of days and there was like i mean all the beer there was either from belgian or you know stella or right it wasn't like a ton of french options but there were you could see like on the french river or i don't remember the name of the river of the river going through paris there was a we were walking past and there was a little microbrewery like not they didn't brew beer there but they sold beer there like a trailer kind of set up with beer and it was very much a present-day microbrewery in france and right so you know that there's definitely and I've, I've seen evidence of more craft brewery present day styles popping up but like i think very i, I don't know for sure but i think the product alcohol product of the region was like a product of the region whatever was grown there the best right so if you're growing grapes it like crazy, why not use them? Right. I mean, there's a, I, I think that is the biggest reason why, I mean, I don't know that it just as a brewer business owner standpoint, I'm sure there's some history to wine being more superior than beer right. in certain cultures. So when I had mentioned the, the wine line, um, that is an important distinction to make when we're talking about someplace like Europe and um, talking about, you know, where basically the wine line refers to 
this line you can draw across most of Europe where everything below the line is where grapes grew really well and everything above the line is where barley grew really well or barley and other grains. So rye, um, wheat, things like that. So that is why in you know places like Italy and most of France in Spain, why you know grapes grew better. So wine was what uh, what most people were making and what most people were drinking. And then north of that wine line was where barley, wheat, other cereal grains grew. And, uh, you know, another thing to point out about that is above that wine line was beer was always kind of seen as the the drink of like the barbarians, you know, the, mm-hmm. there was the, um, the kind of the, the warring factions that would invade, always drink beer. Whereas, you know, where, um, like the Roman Empire and, um, you know, the, the Holy Roman Empire after that, uh, wine was seen as something that was, uh, you know, sacred in a lot of ways. And that's kind of where that rivalry between wine drinkers and beer drinkers has come from. Uh, so I'm just interested in this is just homework for myself to look at that wine line and see, I'm, I'm guessing that like the Alsatian region, like you were talking about where uh, Beardegard was developed is probably very close to, if not on that line where barley grew better than yeah. grapes. And then you're also, like you said, you're close to Belgium. So you're already getting that strong brewing culture is right there. And again, it's, Europe is a little bit different in terms of how their nation states developed, but it is like regions where, you know, it's not, it's not like a, at the time, like just a, a, a hard line. This is France, this is Belgium. It's like, here's this kingdom, here's this kingdom. And then later on it becomes two, two different parts of two different countries. Yeah. So that's just a little bit about the wine line and why I had posed that question to Rachel, just about why, why France has this one beer style you know, from yeah. Northern France. I think there's also some, maybe a little bit of influence when we were talking about um, on our last episode with like Dunkelbox, we were like talking about that trade line that goes, that connects the, like the Baltic and the North Sea. It's like up and up there. So there's probably a lot of influence just on that side of that too, mm-hmm. from brewing because there was so much established beer being traded up and down that, that Right. Hanseatic League, whatever it was. Right. Yes, the Hanseatic League. And um, we'll actually put a pin in that reference to the Bach episode for in a few minutes. I mean, we've got some cool news for you guys. But we do a lot of episodes. You never know what you're going to get. Right. Uh, (laughs) First, Rachel is going to tell us about some of the characteristics that you would expect to taste when you are drinking a beer to guard. Sure. Yeah. So kind of going just a quick overview of some of the stuff we talked about, but just a you know, if, if you needed to write an essay about beer to guard, <laughs> these are some good things you want to know. So, again, they come in a wide range of color. The SRM for BJCP styles ranges from 6 to 19. Obviously, if you go over there, it's not going to be it could be any color uh, that the brewer wants it to be. Right, but just say thank you and drink it. Just say thank you. <laughs> But they should be malt accentuated, um, both in flavor and aroma. Uh, they will, like, a lot of times they're prescribed, uh, described as kind of like authentic or husky. This is something I like to, when I'm brewing these beers, like I uh, recently did like a rustic saison and I was using these like really older 
seasoned rough or malts like spelt and triticle and rye and just kind of like almost you could describe it as like sliced white bread versus like an artisanal wheat multi-grain bread mm-hmm. someone made at home almost in a way so we were talking about like huskier malts uh french malts if you can get your hands on those that is kind of a big deal with french brewers they do like to use what is available to them um i think a lot of that french malt tends to be six row if i'm not uh, mistaken. much of it would be two row oh yeah okay mm-hmm. i don't know where i read that from or i probably mixed it up with something but anyway so we're talking about a medium body to fuller body beer multi multi-forward hops should really just be there to balance out the malt there should really be minimum fermentation aromatics or flavors um, because, again, we are going to be using a more cleaner yeast, something like a Kolsch or German ale, and we're going to be lagering this beer um, in the secondary process. It will go through a cold maturation process, um, normally four to six weeks, depending on the brewer, depending on the results of the beer. Um and uh, a lot of just kind of cellar characteristics, musty, earthy aromas, flavors, uh, varying amounts, especially if it's going to be stored or bottle conditioned and a bottle with a cork um, that is very characteristic is to use that champagne like bottle sense, with right? a cork. So Northern France. Um, actually, one of the best examples or one of the most examples credited it with pioneering the style that we know today would be called uh brassier ducks not bucks <laughs> or i don't actually know how to pronounce it right it would, be, <laughs> it would be maybe dukes ducks dukes dykes maybe dykes d-u-y-c-k brassier d-u-y-c-k this is a french brewery uh credit they make a beer called jolene beer de garde this would probably be the piney elder of america if you will, like uh, the classic example, whereas, you know, our classic example of Saison would be Saison DuPont. This is credited with making uh, what we start to characterize as beer de garde. They're, they're taking all these different ways that beer de garde was once brewed. They're putting it to what they think beer de garde should say. They made it popular. They started bottling it. They were able to distribute it. It was super popular among college students in the uh, city of Lille. And Lille was a, you know, the city of the region, the big city. It was, had a lot of people, uh, you know, f- probably fun atmosphere. People like to drink, like to party. So this was, be- became a very popular beer, um, especially with the, you know, the nostalgic feeling of it being, you know, from your home place. Uh, so that, and then another brewery, uh, beer that I didn't really know too much about, but this other brewery, Brassier Thiller, again, totally yeah. butchering these names. Tellier? 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 Maybe. Um, they make an amber beer to guard. Uh, Jolene, I should note, I believe can come in, they make a blonde and amber and a brown. Correct. And then, uh, so, you know, there's a, lots of different interpretations of this beer, this brewery is making three different types. So these, these two breweries are, have been around since the 1900s. Um, they're the first breweries to really mass produce beer to guard and bottle it. Um, of course, uh, these styles were a lot lower in alcohol then than they are today. The modern beer to guard is going to be, you know, 
low fermentation temperature to suppress ester formation. Remember, we have that available to us all the time now. It's not like we have to choose when we brew it or if that if we're even going to be able to accomplish that cold ferment maturation period. Um, this beer can be brewed with an ale or a lager yeast string. You just want to pick something that's cleaner. So you're not bringing out those esters like you would with Belgian beer, with Cezanne beer. So that's one of the main differences. Um, I think it would also be cool to do an episode when we talk about all these different hybrid beers. And ones that we can have different color, like, like uh, Feisenbach and pale and dark versions, one that have ale or lager yeast strings. Yeah, that's a good that. idea. So we can do that for you guys coming up because it can be confusing. I know we get on here and we're like, so this beer can be everything. <laughs> Let me right. tell you why. Right. Well, and even in our um, Saison episode, we talked about that where I, where I had asked the, the steward, like, is this a... Um, you know, a table, a, a normal or a super, whatever. Yeah, standard or yeah, standard. And you were like, "Does it say that?" I was like, "Yeah, look in the look in the guidelines." So yes, there are a lot. That is a very good idea uh, because yeah. that's even it's one of the most confusing parts about learning beer, right? And you know, <laughs> even beyond that, if you are a brewer, if you're entering a competition and you don't pay attention to those like yeah. subparts or what you're supposed to specify, um, particularly if you get a pedant like me, you know, like you, that it could be a perfectly fine beer, but if I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be, it's harder to judge it. Yeah. And, um, you know, those, like the commentary a lot of times is where you're going to get the meat of how you should be entering beers. Uh, so I think that is a great idea for yeah. your episode. Yeah, we, we'll do that for you guys because I, I get it. I get it. You're like, you're like learning all these rules about beer. You're like, but here's a whole book about breaking these rules. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, well, cool, Rachel, that was a really good overview of beer to guard. It makes me want to uh, you. brew one. Yeah. yeah. If you want to uh, try beer to guard, your best bet is to brew one because <laughs> they are hard to find, but there are some, gosh, I know what are some good style examples that might be easy for people to find today? If you're in Charlotte, Sugar Creek, for sure. Right. Well, and um, Sugar Creek, I think, is throughout North Carolina. That's true. I think. That's true. Uh, but and um, right, um, Jolly Pumpkin. And they also have a beer to Mars that's very yeah. good. And um, normally they, I mean, definitely depends on what state you are. But normally you can find those beers if you go to the right store. <sighs> um La Chalette, I think you can find sometimes uh Russian River if you have that available to you uh Russian River Perdition and you know really it's one of those styles that you don't see very often so if you're in a brewery or in a bottle shop and you see a beer to guard or a beer to Mars get it yeah and, and yeah try it. Uh, because it's a really interesting style that uh, like Rachel has said is it's really open to uh, a lot of interpretation and if you are at a brewery trying a beer to guard and you are able to ask them try to figure out what they did so you can start learning how why they're different you know in color right that, malt level hop yes. level That's if you're if you're like trying to really dissect beer to guard you know right that but that is an excellent excellent point rachel because as you know as a brewer when you're brewing a beer to guard you're very deliberate about how you're brewing it and what you're including so that i, I would think that would be a great conversation starter that most brewers are going to be really excited to talk to you about because it isn't just 
you know, 80% two row, 20% wheat malt, uh, 60 minute hop edition. Yeah. And not, not to say that other styles aren't, you aren't as thoughtful with other styles, sure. but something with like beer to guard, you have to make a lot of decisions yeah. on how you want your style to be interpreted. Yeah. It's not more exactly, so than, than most normal beer styles. Yeah. It's not really a less is more kind of beer, right. which a lot of them are. Right. In my right. And a lot of, yeah. And a lot of, you know, if you want to brew a stout, it's this, this, and this, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can kind of interpret it. But with a beer to guard, you really do have to be deliberate about each one of your ingredients and why mm -hmm. they're included and how you're brewing it. And uh, yeah, so I would imagine that a lot of brewers would be excited to have that opportunity to talk to you about that. Oh, yeah. So um, that is going to wrap up with Beer to Guard, but we are not finished wrapping up this episode just yet. Uh, we have a couple of uh, exciting announcements, very cool that uh, we would like to tell you about. Uh, we've kind of teased in the past couple of months that we, you know, Rachel and I have had a lot of conversations about where we see the podcast going, how we would like to grow it. And we're really excited to announce that we now have a Patreon. And whoop, whoop. Yeah. And um, before I forget, I do want to say, uh, you know, we've we've actually had the Patreon active for probably about a month now. But since we record episodes in advance, uh, we haven't talked about it. And then also, you know, on our end, like there's all of these little steps that it's like, yeah. well, we need to have a bank account. OK, well, before we do that, we need to have an LLC. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we also have to have this. And um, also not being in the same city, like presents its challenges. So in all the, in our life. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, and we do not podcast full time. Yeah. Uh, we both have several things going on and uh, we finally, you know, we, we had the, the Patreon ready and I said, you know what, I'm just going to make it live. We won't, we won't announce it yet because we're not quite ready to talk about it, but if somebody sees it, they yeah. can sign up to be a Patreon. Yeah. And it's very exciting that without us saying anything, uh, we have had the link in our like in our Instagram bio and I believe on our Facebook page, but we do have two Patreons. Uh, so thank you for Stacy. Uh, Stacy is our very first Patreon ever. Right. And Steven is our second Patreon ever. And um, thank you both of you for like being in on the ground floor without us even announcing it. So that's fantastic to know that we have, uh, of course, we've, we talk all the time about how supportive our listeners are and how engaged they are. Um, but that is the, very validating to see that even without us saying anything, people were like, yeah, I want to continue to support what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to both of you. And uh, what we wanted to do at the end of this episode is just talk through our Patreon a little bit, um, talk through the different levels that we have so you know um, if you're joining what you can expect. And also, you know, just talk to you a little bit about why we decided to go with a Patreon. And, um, you know, I can, I can kind of start with the why with... We're very fortunate in that we have, uh, I mean, you might be able to tell, we don't have expensive equipment or, or <laughs> anything, um, but we do have monthly costs that come along with uh, having a podcast that includes things like hosting and, you know, having that, uh, getting that out on the different platforms. There are costs associated with that. And then there are, you know, eventually we would like to be able to have better equipment, um, to have higher quality and, um, and eventually, eventually, somebody who's not me um, editing the episodes. 
might be a, might be a while for that one. Right, right. <laughs> um, but we do have, um, let me, so if you go to our, or when you go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash false bottom girls, I believe I will double check that. So no, that's I'm not right. leading straight. Okay. I'm looking um, at it now. So you will see that we have three different tiers of membership. Uh, our first membership tier is Berliner Weiss, and that one is $5 a month with, um, with the Berliner Weiss level, what you are going to get is um, merch, like first look at our merchandise, um, which is upcoming. So if you follow us on Instagram, you may have seen we posted some stickers that we got. Um, we will have more merch coming up uh, in the coming months as we're, again, kind of growing. So just trust us that there will be merch. And if you are a Berliner Weiss level uh, Patreon, you will see that first. Uh, you will get a discount on merch, and then we will also give you a shout out at the end of each one of our episodes. Um, we will probably just do the new patrons uh, at the beginning of <laughs> each episode rather than like reading an attendance sheet every time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so that is the Berliner Vice level. Our second level is the American Porter level. This is uh, $10 per month. What this is going to include is everything from the Berliner Vice level. So the merch discount, the merch first look, the shout out. And then we were also going to have bonus episodes. And what we're doing with these bonus episodes is it's going to be exclusive only for the, um, the American Porter and above. Um, but for each one of these episodes, we'll select a beer style and talk about the style and talk up and we will actually be drinking the <laughs> commercial examples and evaluating them in these episodes. And what we'll do is announce those, um, and this will be monthly. Um, and what we'll do is announce that a month ahead of time. So if you um, want to listen to the episode and to, you know, sip along with us, you will be able to know what commercial example we'll be talking about. And so Rachel did mention that we have already recorded that first one for April and it's going to be box. And so we will announce in, in these, you know, just the, the regular episodes that we release every other week, we will announce it in these. Um, so you will hear us talk. I promise we won't spend this much time on Patreon each time, but you will hear us mention that. And we'll make sure to mention what the beer style is, because maybe you're not sure uh, that you, you know, that American Porter, that, that $10 a month level is something you really want to commit to. But, you know, we want to make sure that you know what, what is going to be available to you. At those levels. So with the American Porter, really the big the big thing you're going to be getting is that access to the bonus episodes, which will be on commercial examples. Um, so like I mentioned, in April is going to be box. And I went a little overboard with, with the, the box that, with the box that I got. Um, and I think I had a Doppelbach, an ice box, and two different Weizenbox, a pale and a dark. <laughs> and Rachel had had a my my Erbach, yes, and, and you also had a a Weizenbach. Yeah, my Erbach was bad, like like the like just it was old, <laughs> right. like, like a year old. Yeah, and so, um, that's, that's kind of one of the problems you run into when trying to find these BJC examples sometimes. Right, and the uh, I know we've talked about this before that most of the time, almost all of the time, we record first thing in the morning, which is also why. It took us like four times to get the beginning of this episode right <laughs> um, because it's early on a Sunday morning. But um, 
with this, the, uh, since we're recording so early in the morning, we're drinking, uh, like vitamin water and coffee, <laughs> yeah. uh, despite the fact that some people think that we start to sound really drunk towards the end of the episodes, <laughs> we're not typically drinking during these normal episodes for the, uh, bonus episodes. Obviously we will be drinking, um, probably not at nine 30 on a Sunday morning, but we will, uh, be drinking in that. So if you want to hear what we actually sound like, once we start to get some alcohol in our systems, you can tune into that. <laughs> And then our last tier, our highest tier is the old ale tier. That is $20 a month. And with that, of course, you get everything that you get at the American Porter level and the Berliner Weiss level. So you have the first merch, first look, the Patreon shout out each month, the uh, merch discount bonus episodes, and we will be doing monthly AMAs with Rachel and I. So AMA being Ask Me Anything. And this will be an opportunity for, you know, for those patron levels to, um, if you want to just come and hang out, you know, on virtually and talk with Rachel and I and ask us questions or just, you know, kick back and have a beer that will be available to you. And there are also some things that we've talked about with our, with that level of Patreon that, you know, through the AMAs and through other ways, uh, you know, we may ask you to vote on what kinds of episodes we do next or um, submit ideas, which of course, if you're listening to this, you are always, always, always welcome to suggest uh, topics to us. And we don't weigh that more or less if you're, Absolutely. you know, if you're a, a patron or not. Um, but we might give our, that, that old ale level, the opportunity to vote and really kind of guide what our programming looks like. So that's a little bit about our, our new Patreon. We're really excited about it. And again, thank you to Stacy and Steven for already being our first two patrons before yeah. we announce. That's um, awesome. That's yeah, that's super cool. Also, I will say don't, as we uh, grow and learn, don't be surprised if we update more things into our Patreon yes. levels. So do because that's just the nature of having a business. Right. So just, you know, continue to check back, see if we will never shice you. Don't worry, don't be worried about that. But right. we'll, we'll add as we uh, get more things, as we get our merch in, you'll start to see that, um, you know, right now we just have some stickers, but we're getting there. You know, we're small. Yeah, we need more it, Patreons for more merch. See <laughs> yeah, how that works? Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, Rachel and I had a lot of conversations about what we wanted a Patreon to look like. And one of the things we we're both very passionate about is that these episodes that we do, just our regular episodes that we've been doing for, gosh, a year and a half now, are always free. They're always available because, you know, beer education, having these kinds of conversations, knowing where you can find these resources is why we started to do this. And it's important to both of us to make sure that those, that information is always available to you. So you can go back, you know, into our back catalog and let's say in the spirit of guard, you, you think, you know, I don't know if I ever listened to that Saison episode. All of our episodes here will always be available for free and we won't put those behind a paywall. So when we were building the tiers, we were like, okay, what can we add that is extra that if, you know, if you see value in it, you can become a patron and you're getting extra, but we're not limiting the amount of information you get from us um, through, you know, through our podcast episodes. So the regular episodes continue as as always and then these are just some different things that you can get uh, and 
you know, we appreciate everybody's support all the time anyway. And this is not an attempt to try to like monetize your love for us. No. But as, as we, as we grow, you know, everything that we've done to this point has, has been self-funded and uh, that's something that being able to grow also involves being able to focus our resources and, you know, that includes our time as well as our monetary resources in other areas um, to make this an even stronger podcast and help strengthen our fan base even more than it already is because we have a super a super strong fan base with a lot of support. And I, I think I told Rachel this, but in the past week, I started doing the uh, the Brewers Association mentorship program. I was chosen as one of the mentors for that first cohort. And I've had two different mentees be like, oh my God, I love your podcast. I can't, nice. like, I can't believe that you're going to be my mentor, which, I, you know, to me, I was like, you're not even a close friend or family member <laughs> and you listen to the podcast. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to hear that, but thank you for everyone, um, all of our listeners. Uh, and if you will, we will have the link to our Patreon. You can find it in our Instagram bio. You can also find it on our Facebook page, uh, but it is patreon.com backslash false bottomed girls. Uh, so you can check that out. And if it seems like something you see value in, we would love to have, have you as a patron member. And we look forward to uh, you know doing these bonus episodes. And also, Rachel, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited about the monthly AMAs. I, I, <laughs> I'm really excited to be able to I, I just interact hope, like real time. With I just people. hope someone shows up. I know. This one person. This one person. Great. Rachel and I can talk to each other like anytime we want. Um, But yeah, being able to like just hang out with people who listen to the podcast. I'm super excited to be able to do that because our listeners are the coolest listeners. Yeah. (laughs) And with that, we will wrap up this episode. Um, Like I said, we won't we won't go into this level of detail about Patreon every time, I promise. Um, But we will make sure that we're giving our patrons a shout out. So thank you everyone for listening. You can find us on social media at False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook. You can also reach out to us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. We do have a website that will be coming soon that you will be able to um, access our episodes. You know, we'll have little bios on there. We'll have links to Patreon and to our social media. Uh, so that is again, one of those things that we are growing into this year. And yeah, that's going to wrap it up for us and beer to guard, beers to guard. This will be an episode to guard. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the brewing world go round.